Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. I'm going to minister to you for the next few moments on the subject entitled The Other Side of Failure. Look at your neighbor and say, It's not over. The other side of failure. Father, we come to you and we thank you for the opportunity to share the Word of God. Thank you for the anointing that's in this place. I thank you for this wonderful group of people that call Lakewood home. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate with them, we pray. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The other side of failure. Most of us, especially if you're a man, you know who Babe Ruth is. You know that he set a record with 714 home runs during his baseball career. But what most people don't know is that he struck out 1,330 times on his journey to 714 home runs. Most people in the medical community know Jonas Salk as the discoverer of the polio vaccine, but very few people know that he failed over 200 times with vaccines before he finally got it right. Nearly everyone in my generation who watches professional basketball would say that Michael Jordan is one of the best, if not the best, basketball player of our generation. But very few people know that in his sophomore year in high school, he didn't even make the team. Isn't that amazing? He didn't let one failure stop him. Henry Ford went bankrupt five times. That explains why Fords are found on the road debt. No, I shouldn't say that. But anyways, come on, let's lighten up a little bit. Henry Ford went bankrupt five times before he finally succeeded with Ford Motor Company. Thomas Edison, it is said that Thomas Edison, and I don't know how they could track it this many times, but it is said that Thomas Edison failed over 10,000 times in his attempts to find the correct filament for the light bulb. When an aide urged him to quit, he said to that aide, why quit now? We, we know several hundred ways it won't work. So the point that we're going to talk about today, and the point that I want to make is, Failure is what we make it. It's what we make it. What do we do with the failures in our life? And I think if every single one of us were truthful today, we would say that we have had times in our lives when we failed, myself included. So what do we do with that failure? Do we allow the failure to define us? Do we allow the failure to motivate us? Do we allow the failure to give us the opportunity to take a really good hard look at who we are and why we are who we are and what we do. What does the Bible say about failure? What are some examples in the Scripture about failure? Probably one of the most famous failures that we find in Scripture is found here in Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72, where we find Peter denying Jesus. The Bible says this, And Peter was beneath in the palace, and there comes one of the maids, of the high priest. And she saw Peter warming himself, and she looked on him and said, You were with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it, saying, I don't, 
I, I don't know him. I don't understand. I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm just kind of paraphrasing here as we go along. And when he went out to the porch and the cock crew. Maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. That's the second time. He denied it again. And a little, little after that, they that stood by his side again said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech agrees with you or betrays you. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. The second time the cock crew, Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crows two times tonight, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Now let's look a little bit about, let's take a good look about, uh, about this. Let's look at what Peter was saying and, and what the Word of God was saying. Let's take a look at his denial. Let's take a look at his failure. First of all, Peter was warned about the failure. He was told by Jesus before the cock crows three times tonight, you will fail me two different times. Then the Bible said that Peter said, no, 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 I, I, I won't, I, I'll, I'll go with you to death. There's absolutely no way. No way. I'm never, ever going to deny you. I'm not going to do that. But he did. How many times have we been involved in something that God through His Word or God through someone else has warned us against and told us don't do that, but we do it anyway? Well, you say to me, Pastor, how come that happens? Because the Bible says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other. And every single one of us, it doesn't matter how holy you are, how many hours a day you prayed, doesn't matter how much you read your word, every single one of us have those weak moments in our life if we look back at it and we see where the flesh won. So the question that we need to deal with today, the things that we need to talk about today is what do we do when the flesh wins? We realize that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and they're contrary and they're going to fight with one another. What do we do when the flesh wins? Well, we see here that Peter failed Jesus. But the Bible says in verse number 72 that he thought about what Jesus had told him and he went out and he wept and in other words... He repented. Now I want you to listen very closely to what I'm getting ready to say. You can repent and allow God to change you and allow God to transform you and allow God to restore you, just like I've had to do at times in my life. Or you can allow the failure to define you and live with the repercussions of that failure for the rest of your life. Peter didn't do that. Peter hung around the fringes of Calvary. I don't think he was at the foot of the cross. I don't think he was standing there with the mother of Jesus because he was still fearing for his life. But I'm pretty sure that Peter was around when they drove the nails. I'm pretty sure that Peter was around when they were crying, crucify him. I'm pretty sure that he was around when he heard Jesus cry, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As time goes on and we look in the Scripture, we find out that Peter became one of the most prominent, if not the prominent apostle in the New Testament. One of the greatest leaders of the church, the New Testament church, was the apostle Peter. So what we want to do today is we want to talk about the other side of failure. Peter could have said, that's it, I can't serve the Lord anymore. In fact, there was one point where he said, I'm going fishing. 
We could have, he could have done that. He could have said, no, you're not Jesus. I know you look like Jesus. I know you sound like the resurrected Christ. I know all of that, but you're not Jesus. I, I heard Him. I seen Him. I watched Him die. In fact, he could have been so covered up with remorse from his failure that he could have said, I'm not qualified to do what I need to do. He could have done that, but he didn't. He accepted the cleansing blood of Jesus and he allowed God to rebuild his life. On the other side of failure, the first thing that I want you to remember is this. On the other side of failure, you can find forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is forgiveness for failure. It's pretty easy for God to forgive us. He already did it. He's, he's already, he already sent His Son Jesus to die on Calvary. He's already made the way. Where we get tripped up is learning how to forgive ourselves and learning how to forgive other people. But I submit to you that if Jesus has forgiven you and washed that sin as far as the east is from the west and we keep re-embracing it because we can't forgive ourselves, then what we're doing is a disservice to the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. I don't want Jesus to have borne the cross in vain. I don't want Him to have died in vain. I don't want Him to have shed His blood in vain. And so I'm going to confess my sins to God knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And so if He cleanses us from all unrighteousness, what happens next? He makes us the righteousness of God in Christ. So on the other side of failure, not only do we find forgiveness, but on the other side of failure, we can find healing and restoration many times through fasting and prayer. We find this in Isaiah chapter 58, verses 11 through 12 where the Bible said, And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat your bones, and you'll be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that be of thee, or that come after thee, or that come around thee, shall be of, shall be of thee, they shall build the old waste places. Those that you influence, those that are around you, they shall build the old waste places. And you will raise up the foundations of many generations and you will be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of paths to dwell in. So here's what I want to mention to you today and give you this food for thought. Number one, you can either let failure define you or you can become a restorer and a repairer. You can let that fail, failure fuel your destiny or you can let it cause you to fail over and over and over again. Through fasting and prayer, the promise of God is that He would rebuild the old waste places, the places that have went to waste, the place, places that have went, to, went barren. Those places, the promise of God is that, that those places can be rebuilt as God rebuilds you as God rebuilds your life. God can rebuild your passion. God can rebuild your desire. God can rebuild your dedication. God can rebuild your appetite for the move of God. God can rebuild you. He can rebuild you. He can take what the enemy meant for evil and rebuild you. He can put you back together again. That's what Calvary's all about. Calvary was a place of destruction and it was also a place of reparation. He was broken and spilled out so that we could be put back together and filled up. That's what Calvary was about. 
And so he said through fasting and prayer, I'll rebuild those old waste places and I'll give people to you that will help you. And through your efforts, if you'll embrace restoration, if you'll embrace healing through your, through your efforts, I'm going to raise up the foundations of many generations and I'm going to re-identify you from being a failure to people calling you the repairer of the breach and the restorer of paths to dwell in. Don't ever let your history define your destiny. Don't ever let what the devil did to you rob you from what God is doing for you. Allow God to use you. Allow God to lift you up. Allow God to put you back together again. There's hope on the other side of failure. Then on the other side of failure, not only do we find healing and restoration and forgiveness, but on the other side of failure, we find victory, we find peace, we find joy. Psalms chapter 30 and verse number 5 says this, For his anger endureth but for a moment, and the Bible said, In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I learned a long time ago that morning will come. No matter how dark the night, no matter how difficult things seem to be, no matter how much the circumstances pile on top of you, no matter what happens, in the midst of the darkness of the night, we can gain great comfort in knowing that morning is coming. So weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. In the midst of your failure, you need to know there's a time in the future if you'll embrace the path that God has for you where you'll experience victory again. There's a place of peace for you coming. There's a place of joy unspeakable and full of, full of glory for you coming. But you have to choose to move beyond the failure. You have to choose to move past that failure. And so then Romans chapter 11 verses 25 through 36, you can read it later if you would like. But the, the one that we're going to focus on is verse number 29. On the other side of failure, there is the fulfillment of God's plan for your life. Romans chapter 11 verse 29 says, For the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Now either that's the Bible or it's not. And I submit to you that it is and I choose to believe it. I choose to believe that it doesn't matter what my failures have tried to define me as, that the gifts and the callings of God are more powerful in my life and I'm going to allow them to define my future direction. And I want to encourage those of you that have suffered through failure. See, what the enemy does is he causes us to fail and then he wants us to waller around in guilt and shame and self-pity for the rest of our lives. And what he's doing is he's stripping us of our faith, he's stripping us of our anointing, he's stripping us, us of all hope, of all peace and all joy. And as long as we're wallering around in that chaos, the enemy says, I've got them where I want them and then he'll go over here and mess with someone else. But the moment we say, Calvary, covers it all. The moment we say the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance and re-embrace the call of God upon our life and re-embrace the anointings that's placed upon our life, the moment that we do that is the moment that we're stepping back towards the light. It's the moment that we're stepping back towards success. It's the moment we're stepping back towards victory. It's the moment we're stepping back towards peace and joy. So on the other side of failure, you have an option. Waller in the failure 
or re-embrace the call of God on your life. How is this possible? Through the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says this, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. Power to do what? Power to save. Power to heal. Power to deliver. Power to restore broken homes. Power to restore broken marriages. Power to restore broken lives. Power to restore relationships. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It is the power of God. We've experienced the power of God because we are saved. We're saved. So on the other side of failure are the effects of the cross. So let's talk about our journey back. How am I going to wake my, make my way back, Pastor? How in the world can I get past this failure? Everybody knows what I did. Everybody was there. Everybody saw. How in the world am I ever going to make my way back? How am I going to wake, make my way? I don't want to be defined by that. How in the world am I going to make my way back? Well, first of all, it begins with your relationship with Jesus. You pray prayers like this. Search me, O God. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And you pray prayers like that. David, in Psalms chapter 51, we find it in Psalms chapter 51, where he prayed this prayer after his sin with Bathsheba. You've got to understand, when David prayed this prayer, he was the king. He was the king. And he prayed this prayer. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The fact that he said, Renew a right spirit within me, lets me know that there had been a right spirit there at one time. Otherwise, he wouldn't have prayed, God, renew that spirit. See? So create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And then he said this. He said, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So David was familiar with the presence of God. He was familiar with pursuing the presence of God. Where did David become familiar with the presence of God? I submit to you, it wasn't in the palace when he became king. He became familiar with the presence of God when there was no audience but sheep. When he was on the hills of Bethlehem, Judea, strumming his harp and singing praises unto the Lord and magnifying the name of the Lord, he became familiar with the presence of God. He said, renew a right spirit within me. And then he said, cast me not away from your presence because he knew the best place that a person can live is in the manifested presence of God. And that's what I want to encourage you to do today. Live in the manifested presence of God. Allow God's presence to redefine who you are. Don't let your failure to defi define you anymore. Don't let your shortcomings define you anymore. Don't let the things that people point at and say, Oh, no, 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 define you anymore. Don't do that. No, no, don't do that. Allow the presence of God that's in your life and on your life and flowing through your life to define who you are. Cast me not away from your presence. And then he said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So even in the Old Testament, David was familiar with the move of the Spirit of God. He was familiar with the Holy Spirit. And then he said this, he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. So he remembered what it was like to live joyously for the Lord. How many remember when you give your life to Jesus? You remember that? 
You remember the next few days after that? There, you just felt light as a feather, didn't you? There was so much joy there. All of, You're so excited and everything. I'm living for God. Wow, that felt so good. I give my life to Jesus. It's like the weight of the world came off of my shoulders. And you just lived in peace and you lived in joy because you were living your life in total and under, utter abandonment unto the Lord. And David said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And then he said, Uphold me with thy free spirit. Let me tell you, you don't have to reserve the joy of your salvation for just the first three months of your Christian walk with Christ. You can have the joy of God in your life. You can have the joy of God in your heart every single day of your life for the rest of your life. And he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He, he knew what it was like to live free from the bondages of sin. He knew what it was like to live free from the bondages of care. He knew what it was like to live a life that was totally and utterly abandoned to the will of God on his life. He knew what that was like and so he cried out to God and he said, uphold me with that free spirit. I want that again. I don't want to feel the weight of this sin anymore. I don't want to feel the weight of all of I just want to feel free again, God. And then he goes on and he said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. We're never going to win lost people to Jesus. And let me tell you something. Winning lost people to Jesus is the heart of God. We're never going to win lost people to Jesus by telling them all the things that they can't do and how bad they've been. The Bible said it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. We win lost people to Jesus through our testimonies. Telling them about when we give our life to Jesus and what our life was like before and how He changed our life. And, and that's how we win lost people to Jesus. We win lost people to Jesus by sharing testimonies of other people of what the Lord has done in their life. We win lost people to Jesus by talking about the miracles and the power of Jesus. The Bible said, Marvelous are thy works, O Lord, and that my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, marvelous are thy works, O Lord, and that my, thy soul, my soul knoweth right well. That's how we win lost people to Jesus. So instead of the church going around with a condemnation attitude and looking at people that don't know Jesus and saying, oh, look at them, bad sinner, bad sinner, bad sinner. That's not how God sees the sinner. God sees the sinner with potential. God sees the sinner as someone who needs the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ communicated to them in an effective way where they can give you a life to Jesus. I want to encourage you this week to share Jesus with somebody. Somebody that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that doesn't know Jesus. Share your testimony with them. Tell them about the day Jesus changed your life. And tell them, Jesus can change your life too. David said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So when it comes to failure, the choice is ours. We cave into failure, or we re-embrace the plan of God and the call of God for our life. Just a couple more minutes here in closing. I want to make this point. Calvary, at face value, looked a lot like failure. Let's think about it for a minute, okay? Here's Jesus, the Son of God, who made himself a little bit lower than the angels, 
He came to the earth, disrobed himself of the deity that he knew in heaven, and became as a man. Was born in a manger, confounded the doctors in the temple at the age of 12 years old, discontinued living, and around 30 years old he entered his public ministry. through the nudge of his mother at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, by the way. And for three and a half years, he traveled the length and the breadth of the then known world. He preached things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He began the church with the word of his mouth when he looked at Peter and said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And, the, and when Jesus said that, that's the first time the word church had ever been Uttered. It's the Greek word ecclesia, which means the assembly of called out ones. Later, Peter would write, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that he would show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness but in, in, into his marvelous light. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cleansed the leper, he caused the blind to see, the lame to hear, the deaf to talk. The lame to walk. He, 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 he was a miracle worker. Crowds thronged him. He took five loaves and two fishes and fed over 5,000 men besides women and children just simply because he blessed it and brake it. He sat down on the hills and taught, taught them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He took the disciples away and spent intimate time with them, teaching them things that later they would use as foundational doctrines for the church. He went to Jerusalem and came inside the gate and was on a, a donkey that no one had ever been on before and they took palm branches and cried Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord and they laid the, the palm branches in front of him and he went through the streets of Jerusalem heralded like royalty and a king seven days later he died on Calvary the same people that cried Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because they were fickle, because they allowed the chief priests to move among them and stir up the people. Those same people were crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. In a private meeting with Pilate, Pilate talked to Jesus and Jesus was talking to Pilate and Pilate went back out and washed his hands in a basin of water and said, I find no fault in this man, but I'm going to give him over to the priest. And the man that even Pilate couldn't find fault with, the Jews crucified. It looked like failure. The Via Dolorosa falling under the weight of the cross. His back laid open from the cat of nine tails. The crown of thorns that was placed upon his head. The blood depleted out of his body so, so much that he could no longer carry the cross. And the Bible says that they reached and got a man by the name of Simon who picked up the cross and carried it the rest of the way up Calvary's mountain. It looked like failure. They took Jesus 
they laid him on that cross. They usually tied ropes and then later would come and break the bones, but they didn't do that with Jesus. They took three rusty nails, maybe four, drove nails through his hands, nails through his feet, picked up the cross, and dropped it in the hole, and the Bible said Jesus cried. It looked like failure. So here he is, suspended between heaven and earth, looking throughout the utter expanse of the world as he knew it. He looks down at his mother and he looks at his brothers and encourages them to take care of each other. He has one thief on this side cursing him and saying, you say you're the son of God, why don't you call angels, 10,000 angels, destroy this world and set us free? But on this side, he had another one that said, remember me this day when you are in paradise. And Jesus right in the middle, it gives us the perfect, perfect picture of the choice that we have to make. So Jesus, breathing in agony and pain, He wasn't laying there like this, all pretty. He was a bloody mess. The Bible said in the book of Isaiah that He was marred beyond the recognition of man. I could quote it to you. I don't have time to quote it to you, but I could quote that scripture that believed our report. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He will grow up before Him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we, ha- when we see Him, there is no beauty that we desire Him. And we could go on and, and keep quoting there. Point is, is He was disconfigured because of the torture, because of the pain. Then there was even a time, in the midst of it all, where Jesus looked around and the words escaped his mouth, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not only did it look like failure to him, it also felt like failure. But in the midst of all of that pain, in the midst of all of what that looked like, Jesus still mustered up enough courage to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the Bible said he bowed his head and died. Every demon in hell thought they won. Satan was high-fiving the hordes of hell. We got him this time. It's over. We finally conquered the Son of God and we can take our place. Every single one of them were excited. And then all of a sudden, there was a commotion. And the man they thought they had killed showed up and crashed their party. Took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Came back three days later. He rose from the grave. The other side of what looked like failure, the other side of what felt like failure, on the other side of that, we find redemption for all humanity. Jesus became the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And when He died, He entered one time into the holy place to obtain eternal redemption for you and for me. The veil in the temple was written twain from the top to the bottom, not necessarily to let God out, but to let us in so we could go into the presence of God. It looked like failure. It felt like failure. It sounded like failure. It was messy like failure. But three days later, 
redemption for all humanity was established and sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. What looked like failure brought healing to our broken bodies. What looked like failure brought peace to our sin-sick souls. What looked like failure brought deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. What looked like failure was really victory. If you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear this next phrase. And we'll close with this. Are you listening? Here it is. The devil was wrong about Jesus and he's wrong about you too. Boom. I said the devil was wrong about Jesus and he's wrong about you too. You don't have to live in failure. There's hope the other side of failure. There's restoration the other side of failure. There's healing the other side of failure. There's joy on the other side of failure. The sun will shine again on the other side of failure. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy that try to condemn you to your past. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy that try to trap you in your failure. Don't do that. Don't do that. Listen to the hope that Calvary offers. Listen to the hope that Jesus is offering to you today. Because let me tell you something. The devil will tell you that it's over. That there's no hope. That you've messed up too bad. He was wrong about Jesus. And he's wrong about that too. You are redeemed. You are washed. You are cleansed. Sanctified holy made clean by the blood of the Lamb and drawn nigh to the heart of God because of Calvary. The world needs this message. The world needs to hear that there's hope. There's hope. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.